Hello and welcome from Mount Pleasant Baptist Church. This podcast you're about to hear was recorded at our Kublup campus. So sit back, relax, and enjoy what God has to say to you. Because what they were trying to portray that was, was different to the way it really was. A bit like these images we've got on the screen for you this morning. It wasn't the true situation. What appears at first glance isn't really what you're looking at. (laughs) Believe it or not, there are no dog women going around there. There's no men riding on women's... Well, there might be, but it's not... uh... Oh, get your minds out of the gutter. (laughs) What a way to start. But it's not as they seem. And these kids weren't doing this because they were compulsive liars, but because they wanted to belong. They wanted to fit in. They wanted to impress you, and you'd tell them, I'll get real. But it's that impulse to be wanted, to be known, to be loved, is something that carries on down throughout the years. We don't lose it once we get into adulthood. Dale Carnegie, who's a, a famous classic author, wrote a book called How to Win Friends and Influence People. He describes the, the feeling or the urge, the deepest urge of the human heart to be of importance, to be a craving of appreciation. We want people to think of us and treat us as important and appreciated. The studies have shown recent times, you know, there's been this big push in our culture to be authentic, that uh, put on display who you really are. You do you. You know, hate is going to hate. Don't worry about what the world says or what others say around you. Just do whatever uh, you say or feel or think or want. But the reality the studies are showing is that we only ever truly present those things of ourselves in public that are already socially acceptable. So things like being agreeable, conscientious, intellectual, uh, you know, kind of welcoming, accepting. uh, These are the things that we show others and then everything else we hide away. And we see that in social media, really. It's the perfect opportunity to present to the world a version of yourself that isn't true, a version of yourself that can be accepted and loved and seen and feel like everyone out there is on your side, but it's not a real thing. On the one hand, though, these desires to be approved of and to be known and to be loved aren't actually bad. They're part of the way God created us. You know, he created us to be loved by him. He created us to be delighted in by himself, to be cherished. He created us with an enormous uh, responsibility of importance to steward the good earth he'd created. We do all have importance in the kingdom and economy of God. He didn't create us either to be stoic loners. He created us to be in community and to belong. That sense of belonging is not wrong or false. The problem is when sin entered the world, it became a jungle where these longings get misplaced and exploited. So I can come to someone and say the right things because I want something back from them or I need them to perceive me in a certain way. Scott McKnight, a a respected commentator, explains it this way. He says, on the one hand, Humans tend to usurp the place of God by sitting in judgment on one another, which is why humans seek the approval of others. On the other hand, we seek the approval of others instead of the pleasure of God in our behaviours, because as it turns out, they will give us what we want 
whereas God gives us what is good and right. You know, and this is what Jesus is coming to warn us about today in his Sermon on the Mount. And I warn you from the outset, it's not an easy word. It's a warning. It's a caution. It's a take note. And it's not to the people out there. It's not even just to the Pharisees, so to speak. It's to his disciples. It's a word to you and me. Warning. Are you being a people pleaser? Are you falling into the trap of pursuing the judgment of others? Or is your first and foremost desire to follow and please the Lord? That's what we're considering as we turn now to Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 to 18, with a chunk taken out. These are the red letters, so these are Jesus' words. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others, to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honoured by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to be standing, sorry, they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door and pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep babbling like pagans for they think they will be heard because of their many words do not be like them for your father knows what you need before you ask him when you fast do not look somber as the hypocrites do for they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting truly I tell you they have received their reward in full but when you fast put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. So as a snapshot of, I guess, of what Jesus is doing here, he's taking the three pillars of Jewish religion at the time that they believed were what defined you to be a righteous person, giving to the needy, praying and fasting. These are the things you do if you're a good person in the Jewish culture, in the Jewish faith. And so he takes these as examples. And in each example, he repeats the same kind of words and phrases, secret, unseen, to be seen in front of others, hypocrites. He repeats these words and patterns, but they're all making the same point. It's not just what you do that matters. It's why you do them. It's what's in the heart as you act that really makes the difference because you can look good on the outside but be rotting away on the inside. You know, there's a story told of the Queen Mary, uh, which was the largest ship built at its time in 1936. That's a picture of it up there in, uh, over throughout the World War, actually, World War II, and for four decades after that, the Queen Mary would sail across the world, back and forth, uh, port to port, 
But after uh, these four decades, they decided to retire it and to anchor it off California to open it up as a museum and a hotel for people to visit. So as part of that conversion process, what they did was take those three giant stacks that are on the top of the Queen Mary and put them, load them on the port to begin the process of scraping them down and repairing them. But as they were being loaded onto the dock, those stacks completely crumbled. Nothing was left of the three-quarter-inch steel that was inside that they'd been made out of. What actually had been standing there as they took them onto the port was basically 30 layers of paint that they'd done over the years. Inside, that steel had rusted away to nothing. And, you know, like those smokestacks, we can so easily find ourselves standing tall and proud to the world around us, keeping up appearances for everyone we meet, but inside, we're wasting away. Inside, it's a crumbling mess. Jesus is saying to you and to me, I don't want that for you. You are my disciples. There is a different kind of life. So in verse 1, he warns us by saying, beware, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. Notice he doesn't say, if we can just go to the next slide, he doesn't say, uh, if you practice your righteousness. He said, it's a when. He says, when you give to the needy, when you pray, when you fast. There's part of Jesus being his disciple that requires us to take up these righteous deeds. It's not just an internal life or reality. It's a lived out expression. He assumes that we'll do these things and not just these things. Uh, Richard Foster writes a really helpful book called Celebration of Disciplines. It includes other suggestions, things like worship, things like uh, solitude, simplicity, studying the word, service, confession, all of these practices that, uh, I guess, encapsulate the righteous life. Because in reality, what they're doing is reflecting outwardly what's happening inwardly. So when we give to the poor, it's because we know that God has first given to us who were poor. When we pray, we know it's because God has invited us through his son into this intimate relationship with him. We have this dialogue. It'd be like if I was to marry my wife and we start living together and every time I go home, I never speak to her and she never speaks to me. But prayer is the expression, the reality of this life with Jesus. He's now in me and with me wherever I go. And so I speak back to him as he speaks to me. When I fast, it's about living that contrary life because I know, contrite life, sorry, because I know that Jesus and the state of this world is, is not quite in line with each other. There's a lot of work to do. There's a lot of sorrow to bear. And so we fast to seek and depend upon the Lord. Titus 2, 11 to 12 says, The grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives. God has given us his grace. He's given us his spirit that we can live out the righteousness that he's accrued, that he's accredited to us before the Father. 
You know, and I labor this point because in the Western church today, we've become afraid of speaking about these things for fear that it's received as, uh, perceived as judgment, that if you're not doing these things, you're not saved. That's not what we're talking about. These things don't save you, but they do reorient you and point you to the relationship you have with the Father. It's like the law for the Jews, the law pointed out their sin. These point out to us what Jesus has already done for us and who he is in our life now and who he will be in the future. It's the same principle. And through Jesus coming into our lives, they should be expressed because he did these same things. He, out of his compassion and mercy, gave to those in need. He prayed often before the Father. He fasted for 40 days. He served others by washing their feet. He went to the temple regularly to worship. Commentator David, uh, sorry, Donald Whitney puts it this way. The Lord Jesus not only expects these disciplines of us, he modeled them for us. He applied his heart to discipline. He disciplined himself for the purpose of godliness. If we're going to be Christ-like, we must live as Christ lived. So please don't misunderstand me. I'm not trying to put anyone on a guilt trip, but this is the life of Christ. And these things give us life as we come into contact with God, as we undertake them. These things are life-giving. So it's not about, am I praying enough? Am I fasting enough? It's just about undertaking through the grace that God's already given you, the life that he wants you to live. It's outward, certainly. And the thing that Jesus is warning about is it's not doing these things that's the problem. It's why and how you go about doing them. And so with each of them, he starts with the wrong way. Here's the wrong way to do them. And three times over, he says, do not be like the hypocrites. You know, that word hypocrite in uh, Greek is basically comes from the idea of an actor on a stage. In ancient Greece, uh, actors would put on performances and plays and they'd wear big long masks and big disguises. Uh, so you couldn't tell, a bit like the mask singer version, that's the best picture we could find to illustrate it. <laughs> a bit like the mask singer up there, you can't tell who's behind the costume. That's the idea. They're playing a character. They want you to be immersed in the role that they're playing on the stage. And so this word hypocrite became known as someone who pretended in front of others, that what they were on stage wasn't who they were off it. And not only that, they did it, they pretended for the applause. They pretended for the honor of others. This was the hypocrite in Jesus's age. So when these hypocrites that Jesus is pointing out come, they're giving in such a way that everyone knows about it. There was a, a box a bit similar to what we have at the door there that, as, that was set aside for the poor. And these Pharisees or other people who were hypocrites would make sure that the coins as they went into the thing really rattled around. You know, that was loud because the temple was always packed with people. So they really made sure that everyone knew they were giving. The Jewish faith at the time, they prayed three times a day. The, the hypocrites would always make sure that when those times of the day that prayer was set aside for came, that they were in public, in public on the street corners, in the synagogues, so that people would see that they were actually holding to this prayer time that was required of them. And then they'd pray out loud 
that everyone might hear them. When they fasted, you know, they really took seriously the uh, Old Testament style fasting where they put on, you know, their sackcloth and ashes over themselves and they walk around in public moaning and wailing so that everyone know, would know that they were fasting. Jesus says, don't be like them. What they, are on, what they do in front of everyone is not because they want to worship God or care for others. It's because they want to be seen. They want to be approved. They want to be applauded and honored. Jesus says, don't be like that. There's a story told of a painting that was exhibited in London many, many years ago. And as you looked at that painting from a distance, what you would see is a monk engaged in prayer with his head bowed. But as you came nearer to the painting, you'd see that actually what the image was, was that he was squeezing a lemon and the lemon juice was going into a punch bowl. And, you know, this is what Jesus is saying is, you know, as we, as we come to church each week, as we sing and as we pray, as we give to charity, as we help other Christians or other people in the neighborhood, as we host small groups and attend Bible studies, as we tithe and serve in church, maybe even lead worship or preach, do we look good and pious from afar, but inside what is coming out of our lives is sour. Is that who we really are? Is that what's really gone? We're playing with a mask on our faces for the crowd, so to speak. And you know, we have to here at Kubi be challenged by this and to reflect on this. Are we just playing a role here when we come? Are we just doing religion for the sake of it? Heaven forbid, and I, it's not to say we are, but we must always be vigilant do we only come because it's what we've always done or because we know it's right in our heads? We have some sort of sense of guilt or will others notice if I'm not there? Are we playing a game? Are we putting on a good face for the sake of others? Lord, may we never be this way. Jesus says there is a better way. There is a right way. And the antidote to this temptation to perform in front of others he says, is secrecy. You know, there's something about secrecy that purifies the motives. Because if you picture it this way, if I'm to, let's take prayer as the example, if I'm praying in front of you now, I'm not just praying to God, I'm praying to all of you. And your attention in some ways is very likely to be on me as much as it is God. And so it's very easy to fall into the trap of knowing that the attention is on me so what I say and what I do matters. And there's a, maybe a good way to do it and a right way to do it or not. But the minute I go into the prayer closet in my room, so to speak, and I'm out of sight and out of mind of others, it's just me and God. There's an audience of one. The attention is on me from God and from me from God towards me and my attention is on him. Because when I'm praying in front of all of you, my attention can easily be on you. But there's something about being alone with him that purifies this process. It means that my attention is now no longer on what everyone else might think, but only what God might think. And as I go about doing that, as I reflect on who God is and who he is to me, suddenly the desire for my own glory becomes about his glory because I think about who he is. I immerse myself in the truth that I discovered at first long ago. And suddenly it's not about you guys praising me as I look holy in front of you. It's about me praising God.
God. You know, the truth is that Jesus' point is not necessarily just to do these things in secret. It's that he, after every time he says, when you do this, be careful, he says to be seen by others. That's the point, because we obviously do pray in front of one another, and we do sing and worship and do righteous things in front of one another. That's not really necessarily what he's criticizing. He's criticizing where your heart is as you do them. And doing them in secret takes away that temptation and at least develops within you an inner life that then when you come into the public spaces is genuine and true. And he gets the glory. I saw this uh, in our own lives a few years ago uh, at work. What had happened was we'd been about 12 months, uh, it had been about 12 months after I'd left my job to pursue a call to ministry and Sarah and I had to move into uh, my folks place and uh, we were both studying at the time so money was understandably tight and it just so happened at this 12-month period that uh, someone that we'd lent some money to uh, who owed us about five grand uh, it became aware that they'd never be able to pay us back and so we let that go but it made things very tough you know we didn't spread that widely but maybe to a few people and uh, anyway, about a month or two later, uh, in the post came one day a check for $5,000. And there was no note with it, no return to sender, nothing that we could know who had sent it to us. So all Sarah and I could do was marvel at the grace of God. Because I don't, you know, it's possible that these things just materialize by the power of God. But I believe that someone was prompted by God to send us this money out of their own heart's desire and they didn't want to be seen as they did it. They wanted it to be in secret so that all the glory would go to God our Father in heaven and not themselves. This is what we're talking about. So as we draw to a close this morning, I just want us to reflect on three questions that are really kind of around the same point but hopefully to help us reflect on the state of our hearts as we find them today. And the first question there is, whose approval or praise do I want? Am I trying to please my parents, my co-workers, my friends, my church family? Or am I trying to please God? Ephesians 5, 8 to 9 says, Live as children of the light, for the fruit of light consists in all goodness, righteousness and truth, and find out what pleases the Lord. When it says live as children of the light and find out what pleases the Lord, that word live in the Greek is made up of two uh, words. It's a compound word. Uh, one of the words means around, peri is around, and pateo is walk. And so it's saying walk around. Walk around as children of the light. Wherever you go, whatever you do, seek to please the Lord. Your whole lives, the moment you come into Christ, are an act of worship, is a life of righteousness to be lived. It's not specifically about the, you know, the things we think typically, the prayer, the singing, the, um, the giving, the fasting. It's your whole life becomes this act of worship designed to please the Lord. Live for the audience of one, Jesus says. Because the reality is that whether others see you and applaud you or not, God has already done that. You know, God sees you. God knows you. 
God loves you. God wants you. You already have all these longings of your hearts satisfied and and fulfilled in God. And that's why he sent his son to come so that you might live, so that you might know that you are wanted, that you are already, he is already well pleased with you. While you were still enemies, Christ died for you. There is nothing that you can do that will stop God wanting you, loving you feeling as though you are worth his son's death for you. You know, it's it's a warning against, I don't want to make this about me, but I am, I struggle in this area. I am a bit of a people, not a bit of a people pleaser. I'm a lot of a people pleaser. I want people's approval. I fear rejection. It's just something of my nature and personality that's developed over the years. And it's something that I've been on a journey with Jesus in and getting from (laughs) one level to another. But it's still a struggle for me today. And so when I say this, it comes from a place of experiencing it. But it's exhausting being a people pleaser because you're always trying to say what you think others want to hear. You're always trying to do what you think will please them. And what it does is maybe gets you a brief moment of this, but that good feeling that you get quickly wears out. And the praise of others is both fickle and fleeting. You know, firstly, they have to notice you in the first place, which is very unlikely. They're too busy noticing themselves. But secondly, you know, you can be a hero to them one week, but a villain the next. All it takes is them having a bad day and you saying a word out of a bad tone, and that's it. (laughs) Any favor you once had is eroded. The praise and approval of others is exhausting. It consumes us. It becomes like chains around your wrist. And yet it's, it's, this is why Jesus says your reward is in, you've already received it, hypocrites. You've already received it. It's, It's over like that. But you know that you have an audience of one already. And this God of ours never leaves you nor forsakes you. He he knows that you're not going to get it right all the time. That you're good on the inside and the outside. He just accepts you in that place already. Not because of anything you are or have done, but because of who Jesus is and what he's done. Jesus is the guarantee Jesus is the mortgage, not the mortgage, he's the guarantor of the mortgage, that no matter how far I fall in debt, I'm saved and bailed out by Jesus Christ. So God will never leave me nor forsake me. I can rest in his approval. I can rest knowing that his eyes are always on me in a gracious and loving way. The second question is, you know, why am I really doing the things I do? Why am I really doing this? And is there a possibility that I could do it in secret? You know, not everything, as I've mentioned, can be done in secret, but there's things like, you know, if you were to help someone out and you could maybe give them groceries or give them money, you can do that without necessarily saying, hi, it's me, here's my gift to you. When you're praying for someone, you don't necessarily have to say, I'm praying for you. You can just pray for them and let them go about life and check in with them to see how they're going. That's fine. But you don't have to put on this pious presentation of, 
that might get you some praise or some thanks even from them. Just pray for them. Do the the job, so to speak. The third question is, what treasure am I really seeking? Which reward am I living for? Do I need people to do this for me? Or am I living for something that's eternal, something that lasts forever, something that can never be shaken or taken away from me or there one week and gone the next? And a way to test yourself in this area, there's a few sort of suggestions, but, you know, do you have that little grumbly voice that rises up if you're not thanked uh, for your actions or you're not, what you've done isn't noticed? Do you get jealous when others receive credit for something they've done, but you don't? Do you get irritated when things don't go your way, even though you've given so much to the church or to the process? You've volunteered a lot, but no one's listening to your opinion. Do you avoid serving because when you weigh up the cost benefits, you think, ah, it's not really worth my time. They're not going to go my way. Matthew 6 Verses 19 to 21 says, Don't store up treasure on earth, but treasure in heaven, for where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. Who has your heart? Is it others and their opinions? Is it God and what he's already giving to you? C.S. Lewis says this, If we consider the unblushing promises of reward, and the staggering nature of rewards promised in the Gospels, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition, and we can throw in there others' praise, when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at sea. We are far too easily pleased. We're far too easily pleased. This is nothing. This is everything. Let's live this life for this. The audience of one, the God who joins me in everything that I do, that gives me everything I need to live this life for him and who all the way never shakes or fails in his acceptance of us. Your Father in heaven, he sees you, he favours you, and his reward will last forever. Let's pray as we head into a time of communion. We hope you enjoyed this podcast brought to you from Mount Pleasant Baptist Church. Our prayer is that what was said today inspires you and strengthens you in your faith. If you would like to talk to someone about what you've heard today, you can contact the team during office hours on the number you can find on our website at mounties.org.au. Thanks for joining us. We look forward to having your company again soon. God bless.